Well, here we go. Another day, another 50 cents. Bob McCown, John Shannon. Robert. The uh, podcast slash radio program on Sirius XM. Um, this will be interesting. I have spent perilously little time, very little time with uh, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I believe I've interviewed him once. And it was probably about a three or five minute interview. But we're going to spend uh, the entire program talking to Sheldon Keefe today about a, um, I don't know, a, probably a wide variety of things, both uh, pertaining to his team and his personal life, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. We're going to have some fun. Sheldon Keefe, head coach, Toronto Maple Leafs. This time, back after these messages. McCowan, Shannon, back with you on the uh, Bob McCowan podcast. You can get it wherever your favorite podcasts are heard or viewed. And on uh, Sirius XM channel 167 uh, every weekday at uh, 6 o'clock. With the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Sheldon Keefe, is uh, with us. Nice to have you. Thanks a lot. How's everything? Good after last night, I guess. Yeah, it's, you know what? It's nice to, nice to be home. Not nice to be playing in empty buildings, but uh, we've been on the road for quite a while, so... It's been nice to be back. And, uh, you, gave, and, and you gave the day, the boys a day off. What is that? Well, yeah, the, the boys need a day off periodically. You know, and I know that I know you're hard at the grind every single day, you know, uh, John, but uh, <laughs> the guys do need to take uh, a little breather every now and again. So, you know, we, we had two pretty hard practice days and then a game last night. Uh, and then, you know, we were looking ahead to what's you know, going on in our schedule. Well, today was a good opportunity uh, to take the day. We'll get back to work tomorrow. So, so the question for me is, Sheldon, and, and it's, I mean, your team, listen, your team is winning a ton more than it's losing, but uh, holding leads, how, how would you describe your frustration of holding leads at certain points? I think, I mean, the, the issue that we've had is that they've been clustered together here, you know, and that's why it's a topic. I think, you know, you look around the league, every, every team in the league, uh, you know, has has trouble at different times holding leads. Uh, in fact, I think we're, we're right at the top of the league when it comes to holding leads. Um, you know, so I don't think we're any different than anyone else around the league. It's just it's been happening in a cluster here, and it's really been since we've come back from the Christmas break that we've had some some uh, situations where we've given up our, our leads. So yeah, there's there's a level of frustration to it, but I also when I've looked at it. Each game has been different. The, the themes have been different. Uh, you know, last night, as an example, against Anaheim, you know, we gave up the lead. But I mean, those are that's the game I thought we were in, we were in complete control of. Yeah. Uh, I thought we, you know, could have scored far more goals than we did, and would have broken that game wide open and didn't give up very much at all. Uh, and all of a sudden, it's a tied game. That's to me is different than when we look at the game against the Rangers, as an example, and then even take it further to to uh, Colorado and Vegas and those type of games, they've just been different. Uh, so look at it more as circumstantial and we want to clean it up for sure and be conscious of it. But we also feel pretty confident that it's just something we're going through here as, as a team in this last little cluster. And, you know, we were perfect uh, with leads going to third periods up until Christmas. So we just need to get back to those habits to get play more games and, uh, Sometimes it's just the way the, the puck falls, unfortunately, and you just got to get through it. Because like I said, I don't think we're any different than anybody else in the league. Do you coach specifically? Do you have a philosophy about, let's say, third period leads? If you're going into the third period with the lead, do you consciously talk to your team about that during the intermission? Yeah, of course. I mean, of late, what we've been talking about is just that this is familiar territory for us. We know what we need to do. We've been talking about it a lot, so we just need to go out and execute. When, when you're playing with a lead, it is it does change a little bit of how you play. It's in your head a little bit for sure, um, you know, that you need to do a good job defensively. But yet at the same time, if you get too defensive, too passive, that's when bad things start to happen. You give the other team control of the game. You spend more time in your end. And um, that's the challenge, right? Because you, you do want to push and you want to really extend your lead and, and take it uh, you know, out of reach. Um, but you have to do so with intelligence and purpose. And um, as a group, you know, we, we feel like we, we've done that well over the, over the course of the season. And you know, I think that gives us confidence that we'll, we'll get this sorted out. How is, uh, how is this team, in your opinion, different or better than last year's team? Because 
man for man, it's not that much different. Your key players, your important pieces are basically the same as last year. But do you think this team is better? I, I think, like you said, it is different. Uh, the thing that I point to that I really like is just the depth that we have and the options that we have on forward. And we're just starting to get a true sense of that with Mikheyev uh, being healthy now. And us, you know, getting through, you know, the worst part of uh, the COVID situation and some of the injuries that we were facing. And so when I look at, uh, obviously we lost players in the offseason and we all know that. But when I look at, you know, the additions in particular of Bunting, Kampf and Kasha, that's three players that we added that uh, bring a lot uh, to our team. Give us great versatility in, in I really like the options that that presents us. Obviously, we need to stay healthy. Um, so I, I really like the looks of that. Um, you know, I don't think any team is a, is a perfect team in the, in the cap system, especially the flat cap that we've been facing here over the last couple of seasons now here through the pandemic. But, um, you know, I like the options that we have. And, I, and I, obviously, with each year, with each experience, the, the, the players that you have uh, continue to progress and and all of that. So, um, you know, that gives us confidence going forward, but it doesn't make the challenge ahead any easier. Hey, just, just curious though. I mean, all, all three of those guys, um, fit into that cap world because uh, of the, the way that, um, Kyle could have acquired them, but how much discussion would you have had with Kyle and, 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 and everybody else in the front office about, okay, Andre Kasha, would you be interested in him? How much, how much work would you have done prior to the three of those guys signing on all three of them? I, I mean, I'm a part of the meetings and I'm around on that, but there's a lot of work that's done before I get into those meetings. Uh, you know, but I'm fortunate enough that, you know, Kyle involves me in those discussions and, you know, it's not just Kyle and I, Brendan Shanahan. I mean, it's, it's our, it's our scouting staff or management team. Uh, pro scouting staff is, is around. And, and as I said, uh, a lot of work is done before I get into the conversations, but uh, yeah, I get an opportunity to review film on guys and, and be a part of the discussions. And uh, I really like the way that that process plays out. Uh, everybody gets their say. And then ultimately, you know, Brendan and Kyle and, and the management team make the decisions on, on which way they go. But I do know that, you know, the three players with Bonte Kampf and, and uh, Cash are three guys that, um, you know, there was a lot of belief in the room in those guys. And each of them had unique circumstances surrounding them, but uh, felt that with an opportunity uh, with our team and, the, you know, the players we had to, to, to support them and, and play around them, that it would be good. And then in Cash's case, we felt confident in our medical uh, team that right. we would be able to really support him and give him what he needed to get back on track. So uh, there's a lot of work that went into it. And, you try to put together a program that players like that, that are looking for extra opportunity um, and really looking to, you know, whether it's establish themselves such as Michael Bunting or reestablish themselves such as Kasha that, uh, you know, your program that they believe in and want to be a part of. Yeah. You, you talk about that. Um, uh, I would, I wonder how much, and, and McKayev's name comes up in there too, that you brought up, but it really changes the speed of your team. And how does that change your philosophy when you know the speed that these guys could play the game at? Yeah, it, it helps a great deal. Yeah. And, you know, pace is, pace is really important. I mean, the game is played fast. It's competitive. It's physical. It's there's pressure on the puck uh, more so in today's game than there's ever been. Uh, so the ability to, to apply that pressure on the opposition is important to us. We want to be able to have that on all four lines. Uh, so to be able to add those kind of guys is important. We think uh, that type of speed and pace and, and the competitiveness, because all three of those guys are very competitive guys. Maybe they're not the most physical guys or anything like that, that, you know, really jump off the page. They're going to punish people physically, but um, they're competitive. They're on the puck. They close on you quickly um, and they create a lot of turnovers and lose pucks for themselves and, and their line mates. So, um, yeah, those are those are important uh, intangibles to have in a lineup. And, and you mentioned, you know, Mikheyev was a guy that does that really well. Kerfoot is a guy that does that really well for us. Um, and to be able to add to that uh, that group of guys uh, is is important because again, I think that's a huge part of versatility. Because if you have those skills, 
if you have those abilities, I think you can play anywhere and against anybody. Sheldon, why hasn't Nick Ritchie fit in that way? You know what? I think it's it's hard to it's hard to say, uh, frankly. Um, I mean, you knew him. You knew him well. Yeah. I mean, you you have you have a history with this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had him. I had him in the Sioux there uh, for sure. And I think that's you know that you know, the brief relationship that we had. We had him at the trade deadline uh, there in the OHL and and uh, worked with him there. And, and you know, certainly liked working with him. I thought he was a really good player for us in the Sioux. He's been a good player in the NHL as well. He's coming off a season that he scored 15 goals in a shortened season in Boston. Um, gave him a really good opportunity early on. I still think he's got he's got good hockey ahead of him here with us. Uh, for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out the same that it has with some others. Uh, part of that is on Nick. Part of that is on the fact that those guys have just done really well with their opportunities. So, mm. so Nick's just kind of moved down the chain uh, there. Um, and now the K of coming back, it becomes even harder forum uh and then now the salary cap is starting to become a, a, an issue that that affects nick as well so you got all those things going on um there but uh we saw some progress for him i think i can't remember exactly what it was or something like five points in six games or something like that just before christmas uh and then uh, he had an illness there that uh, knocked him out for a little bit not non-covid related uh i missed the game in edmonton and then we of course had our big covid pause and then mm. Uh, he played a couple games there uh, and that he himself got COVID. Like it, so we thought he was starting to get some traction with us, but uh, we still have lots of belief in him. He's a big, strong guy. He is physical. Uh, he's a presence on the ice and he's got really good hands and ability to finish. So uh, he's done in the league before. We still believe in him. Uh, but as I said, you know, we talk about some of the areas here in terms of the pace and the competitiveness and the ability to create loose pucks and turnovers and, all those things, we just think some other guys have done a better job of that. But we got to continue to work with Nick because he's got more to offer us. A couple of questions, and I'm sort of turning back the clock a little bit, talk about uh, new players as we were a minute ago. Um, how often have you had a player that you really didn't know? I mean, may have seen on video a couple of times, but really knew not much about him. And, you know, the organization decides to go and get the guy, and, and there you are. Does that happen very often? wouldn't say all that often just because you I mean you have a pretty good understanding of of the players especially players that are in the league whether you've played yeah, against sure. them or you're watching them on tv or you know their journey a little bit obviously i coached in the american league so a lot of the players that come up through there you're familiar with and you just kind of keep in the tabs on what's going on in the league but there's certainly some guys whether it's guys that come available on waivers or uh trades or what have you uh, and that's where you just have to trust the management team and the scouting staff uh, and then if you acquire such a player where you're not overly familiar with them, then you got to do your homework, you know, and, and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that helps prepare packages of video and stats and these kind of things to familiarize our, our staff as, as quickly as we can with the player so that we can try to put them in position to succeed. Part two of that question. Um, give me the name of a player who shocked you positively when you got to coach him or see him on the ice for the first time, you know, a guy that maybe you were familiar with, but had, you know, really didn't appreciate the skill set that he actually demonstrated. Is there one that pops to mind? Well, the first one that pops to mind is going to be an easy answer. And maybe it's not the type of answer that you want, but uh, I was coaching in the American league. And as a result, I, I also, uh, I, I ran and worked our, our uh, development camps for the Leafs. And so we come out of the draft and into development camp shortly thereafter for the players that are in the organization either have already been drafted or just fresh out of the draft. The very first moment for me, that was, it was very clear that um, we were dealing with a different animal was being on the ice with Austin Matthews for the very first time and seeing that fresh out of the draft that it was, and, and the expectation, you can imagine how high the expectations that, sure. that, that I had for him, but being on the ice and seeing him relative to players his own age at that time, it was it was pretty special um, and eye opening uh, just on on how how large a separation there could be from from his peers. Uh, so that was very unique for me to experience that. Um, man, I, you know what I I think 
nobody else really jumps out at me, but I like little things that stand out to me from my playing days. And I don't know if you can appreciate this. It's a while ago. But, and I know, you, you know, uh, guys like yourself would, would probably appreciate this, but being on the ice with guys as a player coming up, I felt that's where I felt a little more like, wow, uh, how good these guys are. Guys that stand out to me, Dave Anderchuk, first of all, when I first got on the ice with Dave Anderchuk, when he came over to Tampa Bay, um, and, uh, you know, he was the tail end of his career at this point, but I'd watched him so much. I mean, watched him play with Leafs and Dougie Gilmore and all these things. Uh, yeah. I had such admiration for him as a player, and but still, at the end of his career, being on the ice, and this man's the way he helped, the way he handled the puck, the way his hand-eye coordination, how strong his hands and stick were, blew me away. And then probably the guy that the, one of the most talented people that I saw, and this was before he was, uh, you know, the MVP and the Hall of Famer that he became, but Martin Saint Louis. When I my mm-hmm. first training camp, where Marty Saint Louis came over from the Calgary Flames. And at this time, he was still a guy trying to earn his way. Uh, in fact, that season, I he ended up being a healthy scratch sometimes, and I got to play. But it took him a while for people to really give him the opportunity. But his skill set from day one that I saw was on the ice with him blew me away. And it was just so unique for for you know the early two thousands. Uh, in fact, I think it was two thousand and. Uh, the way this guy moved around the ice, the talent he had, he was extremely undersized um, for that time. And it took a while to get his opportunity, but his skill set blew me away. And, and it was no surprise that once he got a tr- true opportunity, he didn't look back. Were you a, were you a Leaf fan as a kid? Or who was your team? Yeah, I wouldn't say I bounced around. Um, I bounced around. I kind of followed. Oh, you only went favorite. with winners, did you? Is that right? You only went with uh, winners? Well, I mean, I went with, I usually kind of went with my favorite players. Uh, Mario Lemieux was a big, uh, I was a big Mario Lemieux fan for, for, you know, a lot of my youth. So the Penguins uh, for a while there. I don't know that I was ever necessarily a Leaf fan, but I don't know if you can live in the Toronto area and not get, not get caught up in Leafs Nation. So, um, you know, when they were on those runs and, and uh, you know, Gilmore and Clark and those guys were, were, uh, you know, uh, were, were competing in the playoffs and uh, those teams, you couldn't help but get caught up in that. So I have a ton of memories uh, associated with those playoff games. The only reason I ask is, uh, was there that moment when you finally made it to the National League when you're on the ice in the face-off circle and you looked over and you said, holy smokes, I'm playing against whoever? Well, I just mentioned Mario Lemieux, <laughs> As, you know, and he's the guy that I play. I got to play against. I was a huge, huge fan of his, and uh, we we actually uh, we got into a game. I can I can remember there was a game when we were playing against him in Tampa, and, and uh, uh, Torts wasn't very happy at the time because nobody would touch Mario, um, and he was pretty much doing whatever he wanted out on the ice, and. and as a guy, young guy like myself, I looked at that as maybe an opportunity to get a little extra ice time. So I got a piece of Mario on the shift and, and uh, uh, kind of disrupted the game a little bit. I was actually between whistles because I wasn't even good enough at that time to get on the ice with them. It was, it was between, it was on a line change. Uh, and he was not very happy with me, nor was the, the Penguins team. And he had a few words with me uh, during a TV timeout. And that was pretty, uh, pretty wild for me. That's one of my favorite uh, stories from my short time in the NHL. You didn't Would apologize you... to him or anything, did you? <laughs> I'm sorry, no Mr. Lemieux. You know, <laughs> no chance. Torts was really happy with me. In fact, he moved me up the lineup and matched me against them the rest of the night. Because uh, uh, so I, that's a story I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, like I said, my short time in the league, but that was uh, pretty cool. What'd you learn from Torts? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, what comes to mind? Uh, uh, first of all, there's. Uh, you know, the team ended up winning the Stanley Cup in 2004. Uh, ultimately, the team got to the point it was too good for me. But uh, I was a part of those, the team from 2000 up until 2003. So basically the process of that team finding its way and figuring it out and, and towards taking over midseason uh, and seeing the culture shift and change. I was a part of all that. I got to experience that and see it, see the growth in players. Vinny LeCavalier was the same age as, as I was, we were roommates on the road for a period of time. Uh, so seeing that growth process in him and uh, that team, uh, you know, at the time you don't recognize it, but certainly as you start coaching and you reflect upon it, 
you 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 think about the process and how it was not easy how he had to challenge people uh, he he pushed guys he made them uncomfortable yet he did it in a way that um, he supported and cared for everybody that was on his team uh, to see the growth and the leadership um, that was put in place through Dave Anderchuk and guys like Tim Taylor uh, and to, to support the younger guys. Uh, so ex- living through that process, I, I learned a lot and really became the foundation for how I coach when I started to coach when I really didn't know anything about coaching uh, in my certain Pembroke. So that's a big one. The other one, probably the most lasting thing is just to, to respect the game, that uh, respect the game, respect the people in it. Uh, they're in it for a reason. They're at the highest level for a reason. Um, and uh, trust the process that you're going through. For me as a young player trying to find your way in the NHL, yeah, sometimes you feel like you should be there quicker than you should. And you trust the process, keep working, and then things would work out. But uh, having uh, respect for the game was a big one. And as a result, certainly even more so when I started coaching, my respect for Torch grew even, even higher. So, so just curious when you're behind the bench and you're barking a few things, do you hear torts in your, in your demeanor? Do you hear, or who do you hear? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think about that kind of stuff too much. I, I like to think I'm myself. I've been, uh, you know, while I'm still, uh, you know, uh, you know, I haven't been around the NHL that long here yet, but, um, I've coached, you know, well over a thousand games, you know, at, at various levels. So I, I do feel like I've created my own identity and, and, and then I believe in that. So I don't think about that stuff too much. I, um, I'm confident in who I am and, 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 you know, my philosophy and how I coach, I don't always say or do the right things, uh, but uh, you know, I'm genuine in, in who I am. So Sheldon Keith, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, let's take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, more after these messages. McCowan, it's uh, Shannon and uh, Sheldon Keefe, the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, is with us. We were talking about, well, coaching and early days and playing days. Um, One of the most commonly asked questions of guys like you, Sheldon, is, um, you know, when did you decide to uh, become a head coach and, and, and who influenced you? And we sort of addressed that, that influence situation. But when did you make that decision? You, you don't really do it while you're still playing, do you? Well, not certainly not in my case. I, mean, I thought I would play for a lot longer than I did. Uh, you know, I started coaching when I was 26 years old at the junior A level with the Pembroke Lumber Kings. And uh, that decision was made for a multitude of reasons. But really, uh, I invested in that junior A team while playing. And then it was uh, during the NHL lockout in 2004, I was playing in uh, Utah, Utah Grizzlies Mm. at the time in the Arizona or Phoenix Coyotes uh, organization at that time. Uh, I blew my knee out uh, pretty good during that season, Uh, missed the entire season, was shut down for that season, rehabbed for better part of a year. Um, And, uh, rehab didn't go great. I never felt the same uh, coming out, out of that. But also during period, a period of time, because I was shut down for the season, I started to spend more time uh, back home in, in Pembroke uh, and uh, started to be around the team, be around the players, uh, help with practices, you know, watch video, do those kind of things. And I was really drawn to it. Uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, what went into game planning and reviewing film and working with players individually, trying to make them better. Uh, I was really drawn to that, but still young enough that I was pursuing my own career, trying to get that back on track. Uh, so, you know, continue to work and try to get uh, to the point that I could go back to play. And again, my knee just never quite felt the same And that combined with the fact that my career had really stalled. You know, I had started, I played in the NHL from, at, you know, uh, different periods I was up and down in the minors but from 2000 2003 and then uh, 03 04 I didn't get to the NHL at all uh, and then uh, 04 05 was, was the year I blew my knee out so at that point in time my career was going a little bit backwards and the injury um, and then just so happened right at that time uh, the Lumber Kings had a had a coaching vacancy or a coach at the time that, that we had hired uh, to run that team uh, Forrest Kevin Abrams, who's now the commissioner of the league, actually, um, and done a terrific job. 
he uh, he took a job outside of hockey and we had a vacancy there. So I, I was left with a, a tough decision as an owner of the team to either, you know, go hire someone else, which is extremely difficult to find somebody that you really trust to run uh, a team at that level, um, sell the team, which I didn't really want to do, or just, just jump in and, and do it. And uh, that was really, that was my decision. And I made it rather quickly, to be honest. Uh, it wasn't something I labored over, over time, to make that decision to coach and run the team and move to Pembroke full-time, uh, which told me that, A, um, I was probably a little more done playing uh, than I thought at that time, but also how much I really enjoyed the challenge and everything that came with coaching and working with teams and players. So uh, my wife and I, or my fiance at the time, uh, we, we moved to Pembroke full-time, set up shop and, tried to figure things out on the fly. So it was almost <laughs> circumstantial, right? Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, frankly. And yeah, to your point, when I was playing, I mean, I wasn't thinking about coaching at all. I mean, it'd be, sure. Sure, sure. It'd be great to be involved in the game when you're done playing, but 25 years old at the time, uh, thinking you're going to play for a lot longer. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I really did kind of just uh, make a really quick decision, a quick pivot and jumped in and, as I was saying, had no idea what I was doing. Uh, but uh, as I, I mentioned, Kevin Abrams there, he had established a great foundation uh, for the program, not just on the ice, but off the ice and running the business and things. He had, he'd set things up really well that I had said to maintain that and uh, find my way and build upon it. But uh, in terms of life experience, and never mind the coaching, uh, but the life experience to go and, uh, you know, sort of start a new identity as a, as, as uh, somebody in the game and as a man, uh, you know, in terms of setting up and starting a family in Pembroke, we, you know, my wife got married, wife and I got married during that time. Uh, we had both our kids in Pembroke and um, made some great friendships there. So it was an incredible time and obviously very fortunate how, how it's all worked out. When did you meet Kyle? Very first time I met Kyle was in, uh, I remember the arena, but I think it was somewhere in the Etobicoke area um, for at the uh, at a tournament, a prospects tournament. He was an agent at the time, and I was trying to recruit a couple of his clients to uh, come and play for me in Pembroke. Hmm. Um, so we had an interaction at that time, um, very you know pretty brief. Um, but I do actually remember telling people when they came home from meeting him at that tournament that you know, I don't know who this guy is, but he's he's quite impressive. He was a very young guy, seemed to be about the same age as the guys I was recruiting. Um, but uh, in terms of how he conducted himself, he was very impressive. Uh, and that was really it. That was the extent of it. Um, and then yeah, I think we might have bumped into each other at an arena at a different time. It was pretty, you know, uh, uh, you know, the exchange was just really in passing more than anything. And other than that, uh, it was just the call that I got for him when he wanted to talk about the position to same ring. So you, I mean, let's face it, you guys uh, are linked uh, and probably will be linked together forever uh, with hockey fans. Why, what is it about your, your chemistry uh, that makes it work? What is it about his relationship with you that, and vice versa that makes this work? Yeah. I mean, it's, probably a question that's you know given that he's the man in charge uh and, and he really determines my fate uh, uh probably a question better suited for him but they, just in terms of uh, uh what i've learned from kyle and, and how he makes me better i would say is just um first and foremost he he challenges me every day and this is from the very first day that i, I arrived in some scenery he challenges me every day to be not just at my best but be better uh, and improve. He's consistently throwing things my way to consider things to read. Um, and, uh, and it's not always, you know, it's not always, uh, it's not always nice. I and mean, we, we've had some challenges along the way and, and um, we've had our battles. I think that's probably, um, probably the, 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 you know, fundamentally that's the strength. That's where the, the foundation of our relationship is, is that we can challenge each other. We can push each other. We can disagree uh, on, on any item really. And it can get heated, but uh, whether it's the next hour or certainly by the next day, you know, we've, we're, we're back focused on, on the same target. 
Um, so I think that's really, that's really been the greatest thing of why I think we, because, because we can challenge each other and try to make each other better. And certainly that's what he's done for me. Um, but still remain focused and not uh, yeah. get better or work against each other in any form. Uh, we're completely aligned in that way. Well, you're not so, going to, you're not going to concede that you're not friendly with them. Um, even if you weren't, uh, having said that, can you be friends? With can a coach be friends with a general manager? I, I certainly think he can. I mean, I think there has to be a deeper relationship than just the professional one. Um, I think that when it but when it comes to business or it comes to competing, I think it has to be it has to be about you know is is this relationship healthy for the organization for the team, not just for me personally. Of course, yeah. What sort of value are you bringing? Um, and you know what. Uh, 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 Kyle's wife Shannon and my wife Jackie are, are very close and they talk a lot and they you know they enjoy going to the games together and Kyle's got a young family and two kids now that are younger than mine but they you know they enjoy interacting with each other and uh and all of that but uh quite honestly when it comes to the social aspect of it I've spent very little to no time with Kyle Buderson uh, in our lives uh, together socially it's it's uh, it's it's um we spend all of our time when we're, we're discussing we're talking about the team or time will make each other better but you know there's no uh, there's no vacations or anything like that <laughs> uh, it's it's very business-like in, in a lot of ways it's just I think a great level of respect uh, for each other and we talk uh daily and we're texting back and forth consistently in fact our wives joke that we spend way more time communicating um uh, both the team than, than uh, we do with our spouses but uh it's it, it is very business-like and it's very much uh, about uh winning and about doing what we can to to navigate the challenges that uh, get in the way of doing so more more discussion of leadership skills or what's wrong with the power play <laughs> honestly everything uh, honestly, yeah. everything. There's nothing. I mean, I don't think there's anything. Um, uh, there's certainly nothing that's going to offend me, and, and I want to be challenged. I want his input. Ultimately, uh, I, I recognize as much as we've got a great relationship um, and a great level of trust for each other, I recognize that he's 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 my boss, and it's. You know, but he and Brandon Shanahan work to create the vision for our team. I've got to execute that. You know, I, I've got to you know make uh, make it work. That's my job. So I need his feedback. I need to know how, what he's thinking. I need to know what he sees um, uh, just to ensure that I'm staying on track with what I need to be able to do. Uh, yet I need to stay true to who I am and what I believe. And, and, and he wants me to push back if, if uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I have strong feelings on something. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, Kyle is... Um, Kyle is the most committed person I've ever been around uh, to make himself and others around him better. Uh, and that's really what consumes him. And, and whether it's, whether it's uh, professional or whether it's in life, um, whatever it is, he's, he's uh, cons consistently pursuing knowledge and uh, sharing it with, with, uh, with people in his life. Beyond Kyle, uh, and you took, I think it was November 20th to 2019. You took over from Mike. What, what was the, what was your, what's your biggest learning curve as a coach uh, between the time you took the job? I know you were in the American league for five years, but what's the biggest learning curve as an NHL coach between then and two, let's face it, two really weird years in the NHL. When you think about the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point. I've said this a couple of times, but it, I do think about it periodically that I've actually I've coached more games in a pandemic world in the NHL than I have in, in, in the real world of the NHL. But um, so that in itself has been a huge learning curve. And, and I think in some ways been an advantage for me because everybody, everybody in the league is going through that. And regardless of your experience, everybody's going through it for the first time and navigating that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, the NHL game is played differently. Um, obviously the skill set of the players is that much greater, it's, but it's way more than the skill set and it's way more than this, than the pace. I mean, there's a lot of players that can skate as well or better than NHLers that are playing in the American league, but it's the ability to think and execute at that pace. That, that is the real difference. Um, so, you know, dealing with the, the differences in how the game is played and some of it is tactical, 
but not a lot of it. The tactics are pretty similar. Uh, what's happening in the American League? In fact, most American League affiliates are really just carbon copies of what their NHL coaches are trying to accomplish. But the the way the players play um, makes the game more challenging. The, their ability to uh, counter on mistakes uh, when you make them uh, is that much greater. Where at lower levels you can make mistakes. And, you know, maybe the guys on the other side don't have the ability to, to make you pay for them. Mm-hmm. That's a, a big one. And just the importance of, of the execution and the consistency of your play. But honestly, probably the biggest one, and it has been a little different with the pandemic and such, but it's just the schedule really is uh, the greatest challenge. And I think a lot of coaches say that, and I was fully prepared for it. Everybody, every coach talked to me, anyone in the NHL I'd spoken to, um, and obviously, I follow the Leafs a lot, and, and uh, my communication with Mike Babcock and his role as the head coach of the Leafs was consistent. You know, with our communication with what was happening with the Marlies, and and I also was able to participate in training camps and preseasons and all of that. Um, and I was always told, you know, that you don't, you don't get to practice much. The schedule is difficult. Um, but being on the fly and, and coming in mid-season, and you're trying to really, um, you know, trying to establish how you want to play what you want to do as a team and but doing that with very little practice time available is a challenge and then even you know when we look at this season uh before christmas you know our schedule was quite busy in fact we, we never mm-hmm. practiced two days in a row uh you know for the first uh you know almost three months of the season you never practiced two days in a row because it's basically game uh game practice game practice game you know day off practice game players so don't we, mind that what's that the players don't mind that no the players you know that, that's that's an interesting thing that we've learned uh, a lot as we've gone through now it's the opposite now we're practicing way too much and the players are like okay <laughs> uncle with the practices let's get going here um but that's a challenge and then even when you do practice at the nhl level because of what i just described with the with the scheduling you can only go for 30 minutes um, you know, you're, you're really just maintaining, you know, the, you know, keeping the players sharp and maybe there's a couple little things you can, you can, uh, you can address, but uh, so, you know, you're really operating off of two 30 minute practices a week in the NHL, uh, versus, you know, you may practice three, four hours a week in the, in the, uh, in the American league at minimum, a lot of times. So it's, that's a, that's the greatest challenge, uh, and biggest adjustment, I would say, as much as you're prepared for it. Uh, it really, it really does alter a lot of how you coach your team. You, uh, you ever, we talk, we, sorry, John, we talked a little bit about, um, or a fair bit about your relationship or perhaps lack of personal relationship with the general manager. What about your relationship with the president? There's a hall of famer, um, guy who played a long time in the national hockey league. Do you spend much time with, uh, Brendan? Yeah, I mean, his presence, I think, is one that uh, I've really come to appreciate and value and having him around, uh, you know, to bounce something off of or having him sit in on our meetings and give his perspective like that's that uh, I, I really appreciate it. Again, like what I described with Kyle and, and the fact that, you know, I'm executing I'm executing their vision. Uh, that's my job. And if we're not aligned in that, then I don't see how it can work if we're all three of us are going in different directions. So that's an important piece. So getting that feedback, uh, you know, is as, as the president of the team and his perspective is, is obviously uh, very important for me as the head coach, but he's got the experience as well that he's went, gone through as a player. He's lived these things. He's uh, he's been a part of great teams. Um, he's been a great player. You know, obviously we've got elite talent on our team. Uh, Brendan has been one of those guys, and he's lived that uh, as a player. Uh, so he's a great asset for me in that way, and then obviously for our players. So you know, whether it's uh, time spent in the offices uh, around our facilities, or uh, you know, the the dinners that we go to on the road, and those kind of things. Um, or just the ongoing uh, text conversations that uh, Brendan and I have, or that you know the three of us uh, with Kyle have, that are ongoing uh, in terms of what's happening with our team. I think that's that's really important, and I think that's only grown you know, the longer that I've I've been um, coaching here. As you know, Brendan and I have worked uh, closer than ever. Obviously, when I was working with the Marlies, he's still present and he's around, and there was a relationship there. But th- over time, 
you know, that's really grown, um, you know, between the, you know, uh, the two of us. And then obviously with Kyle as well, what was existing, I think that's, that's been an important part and an exciting part for me as I, as you know, we continue to, to develop, uh, you know, who we are as a team. Did, the relationship watch, with, sorry, John, oh, sorry. No, I was, I was going to say, did, did you ever watch the Amazon prime documentary series? I never watched the final product, uh, in, in totality, but um, like when everybody else saw it, but I, you know, I had seen samples of what was coming in advance, um, and I know they, there was a there was changes made and things added after that fact that that I haven't uh, taken the time to to watch yet. I don't know when or if I will. I've kind of moved on from it, uh, you know, but I I certainly have a pretty good sense of what was in it. Yeah, would you do it again? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would do it again. Yeah, I, I would for sure. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's really important for the game. I think it's really important for the fans. Um, you know, I, I think that that's really was the motivation around it. And, you know, it was, you know, through, through both the NHL and, and our specific team, but mainly the NHL that was really pushing us to take on something like this and uh, be the first in the league to, to do it, to represent the game on, on that on that platform obviously it's a very popular uh, platform and, and i had seen most of all of the all or nothings for for the other various sports um so yeah i, I, would, I would do it again for sure um obviously we wish that the ending was was a lot better uh, i thought that they did as good a job as they possibly could of uh, you know, being around and being present for as much content as they could, but yet at the same time, blending in and not being a distraction. Uh, I felt very comfortable, uh, perhaps maybe in retrospect at times, maybe too comfortable with them being around, but uh, that, you know, that's, you know, that's what I knew going in that it, this was, this is only going to work and only be something that makes any sense if it doesn't affect on how I, how I coach and how I interact with our team. So um, you know, I felt comfortable doing that and I would do it, uh, do it again in that sense of not being concerned about it. I just have to be myself. Uh, well, um, <laughs> our friend Bruce Boudreau was involved yeah. in one of those behind the scenes, um, yeah. things and, um, uh, you didn't break him- his record, Sheldon. So, uh, yeah. no established himself <laughs> as kind of a potty mouth and, 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 and that happens. I mean, I'm, the, I, I have a company, a production company that actually did um, uh, the Saskatoon Blaze, the London Knights. We did a bunch of Memorial Cups on the road to the Memorial Cup where we were embedded with the team for the entire year. And in fact, we were the original company involved in the process that, that, that you were involved with. And we didn't wind up doing it. But um, And one of the things that you try and do and, and you try and convince the people involved, especially the head coach, is that you're going to try and be as unobtrusive as possible to try and blend in as much as possible. And we used to tell coaches, look at if, if we're, if you think we got too big a presence or too demanding in the room, just say so. And we'll back down. And I assume that it sounds like you had a pretty good relationship with the crew. Yeah. They, they, like I said, they, they did a tremendous job of that. And they, and they did tell us that. I don't know if there ever really was a time where we, you know, we had to send them out uh, or anything like that. And, you know, over time, as much as we got comfortable with them, I think they got really comfortable with us. And then, you know, they, before long, there ended up being robotic cameras uh, floating around all over the, all over the building that uh, again, we could tell them to shut them off at any time, but uh, um, you know, they were present and they were around. Like I said, I I felt confident and comfortable just in being myself and, and um, you know, just, I just felt that that was really important and, and knowing that, you know, the, um, the finished product is going to be important and it's going to send a message for, for the league, uh, and for our game. And we want it to be authentic, uh, at times, you know, whether it's the swearing or whatever it is, that's, that's true emotion. Um, and at times it doesn't come out always the way that you want to. And, you know, I can get through this entire podcast without, uh, uh, without, uh, you know, uh, swearing or, or anything that's inappropriate. Well, you but... can actually, is it? We, we don't very often, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's no rule against it. I, I okay, got so... one more. I got one more quickly. And I know John has uh, a couple more. We have, we have not that much time left. Um, 
when people talk about your team, uh, everybody acknowledges the skill set um, that you have, especially the offensive skill set that you have. And you probably have, you know, you've proven that you can play sound defensive hockey. You've shown that you have goaltending that can win. Uh, the one question is, can this team, does this team have to be more physical when the playoffs hit? I'm very intrigued by your perspective on that. Well, I think what I would say to that is, I mean, it depends on how you define physical, right? I, I think that there's a whole point, of, there's a whole part of, um, you know, being the physical team that is the, the aggressors and, um, you know, is bowling over top of people and finishing checks and all of that. And, and I don't know that that's ever going to be who we are as a team, but that doesn't mean um, you don't do those things and you don't use that physicality as an asset. Um, we talk about just establishing body positioning, doing that, because that's really ultimately what the purpose of body contact is in our sport is to establish body positioning and making sure that you're winning ice on, uh, uh, out there. Um, so that's something that we, we talk about. Physicality is one of the, you know, the, uh, the, the core foundational pieces of how it is we want to play, right? Physicality, physicality, competitiveness, structure, and consistency are the, are the four things that we talk a lot about where if we don't get those things right, we don't have a chance at success. So certainly that is a big part of it. But what I think is equally as important, if not more important, is our ability to play through physicality. Because the games get harder. I think both teams naturally, including us, get more physical. I mean, you know, look at our time in the playoffs. Like we're more physical than we are in the regular season. Just all the teams are. Sure, exactly. But it's your ability to play through physicality. When you know, we played in Long Island against the Islanders um, just the other night, and uh, you know, they were they were a much more physical team than we were, and they punished some of our defensemen. But each time that contact came, whether it's Lilligren or Sandin or Dermott or Morgan Riley, like we made plays inside the contact and the puck kept advancing. And if we can continue to play through physicality when things get hard and the crowd is screaming and cheering and, and all those kind of things, just continue to be poised and make plays. That's what it's about for me uh, because we do have great talent. So our ability to execute when it gets hard is what I'm most focused on As I think the emotional piece generally just brings out more physicality in our group, but we need to play through and execute when it's difficult that's that's my main focus so at the end of the press end of the uh, end of your press conference brendan talked about this team needing more grit and and being that type because playoff as you say playoff hockey is different does it have more grit to make a difference i think it does for sure I mean, what you're talking about with grit, grits to me is about resilience right grit is about it gets hard and you play through it. This is what I'm talking about. You know, that to me is where the physical nature comes in. And then your know, players either, um, either can't play through that and they shy away um, and aren't willing to, to push through when it's hard or they keep going. And that really truly is what grit is. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I think that our players have experienced it. When I talk about our core players, that have been around and have been through these battles, they've experienced enough and they, they know that. I mean, I watch, I, mean, I watch Austin Matthews play now and uh, this guy, when you get in his way, he's not accepting it. Like he continues to drive and push through you. Mitch Barner, William Elon, these guys are, are, are driving through Morgan Riley. Uh, Jake Muzzin obviously is, a, is an ultra competitor for us. And then we going back to the beginning of our conversation here, whether you know Michael Bunting. I mean, he this guy does does uh, he's a dog on a bone and doesn't uh, doesn't stop. Andre Kasha, he is extremely competitive, borderline reckless on the ice with how he competes and plays. Uh, so we've added these guys in, and I think uh, adding them to the the group that's experienced this, I do think we're we are a grittier team. Uh, we've got a ways to go here. We're just approaching the halfway mark. Um, so we've got to continue to elevate in that regard as the games get harder here down the stretch. It's an extremely competitive division here that we've been <laughs> keeping pace with. Um, and we're right there in the mix. We've been happy with the work that we've done over the course of 39 games we're through now. But um, it's going to keep getting harder. We're going to keep getting put to the test. Uh, and uh, I absolutely enjoy being a part of that challenge uh, and seeing our guys work their way through it. Uh, we want to thank you for taking some time for us. It was, um, 
not only good to chat with you, but to get to know you a little bit better. And, and I think, um, uh, the, I hope the audience got to know Sheldon Keefe a little bit better than perhaps um, they had previously. Uh, we wish you continued success and good luck in the remainder of the season. And who knows, uh, perhaps we'll have the opportunity to do this sometime in the future. Thanks, Coach. Sure thing. It was fun, guys. Take care. Sheldon Keefe, we'll wrap it up after these messages. Well, thanks to Sheldon Keefe uh, for being with us, head coach of the Leafs. I enjoyed that. Well, you asked too many questions, though. You asked too many questions, so. (laughs) Well, that's why I'm the host. And and John, (laughs) all the questions I asked were were really generated by the great questions that you asked. No, no, they weren't, Bob. No, 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 no. But hey, okay, so I mean, you you got the key question. Are they tough enough for the playoffs? What do you think? Well, I, I don't think the answer to that is um, is given. I, I think I think grit is a collective, not an individual. I think too often NHL teams go and find a guy who is a tough guy and think that that's going to help them with physicality. It doesn't. It's have you got enough? And I think Sheldon essentially said this. Mm-hmm. If you've got enough guys that are tough enough to play through what they have to play through, then you don't need a goon or two goons no. on your team or even two guys that play physical hockey. It's a collective. Um, and I don't have the answer. He, he's well, in a better position to know. You know, you know he, and he talked about the division. When you look at Boston, going to be tough. Tampa, going to be tough. And Florida, really tough. Tough teams to beat. This is a tough division for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if they lost in the first round to any of those teams, I would not be surprised. And it wouldn't surprise me if they beat one of those teams. But I mean, it's, a, it's a, going to be an amazing playoff in this division. All three are talented, and all three have demonstrated plenty of grit. Yes. Do the Toronto, can the Toronto Maple Leafs match that? I think they can match the talent. We'll find out if they can match the other. Um, are we going to do any footy tomorrow? Because we got yeah, a footy no, game. Foot, no, we're we're just doing the National Football League. Oh, that's the football. Um, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the soccer game, and uh, we will address the conference finals in the National Football League. Hope you'll join us for that. Until then, for John Shannon, Bob Accounts. See you.